So today we're going to start by looking at Romans chapter 5, probably going through 5, 6, 7, and 8. Those are kind of my some of my favorite. And also chapter 7, Romans chapter 7 is one of the most controversial uh, kind of hot topics in the church is that um, whenever somebody talks like myself talks about being free from sin people always bring up Romans 7 because they say things like oh well even Paul struggled with sin even Paul wanted to do right he wanted to live for God he wanted to stop sinning but he couldn't because he said the things that I do the things that I want to do I can't and the things I don't want to do I do and so forth so we're going to take a look at that but what's really helped me understand that and kind of like balance that with me experiencing freedom in Christ and also um, all the verses and kind of the whole heart of the gospel is we can be free from sin we don't have to be a slave to sin what have you how to balance that what has helped me with balance that with what I observe at the surface of Romans 7 what it looks like what Romans 7 looks like it's talking about um, what's helped me balance that is the context surrounding Romans 7. And so it's important to read the context and to go backwards sometimes. If you ever get stuck on a verse or a chapter or sometimes even a book, it's good to read right before that. And a lot of times the answer will be right there. And so that's definitely the case with Romans 6 and 7 because... Otherwise, if it isn't what I'm about to show you, it would appear as if Romans, a lot of what Romans 6, the concept, what it's talking about being free from sin, no longer a slave to sin, it would contradict itself if Romans 7 is what it appears to be. So, and obviously we know that the Bible does not contradict itself. Um, there's balance to everything and it, it should fit together. It should go along together through understanding with of the Holy Spirit. So. I'm not claiming to have all understanding, but I am claiming to know the one who does understand it all and the one who says will teach me. And so that is what I've entrusted myself to. That is what I've entrusted my mind and my understanding to the Holy Spirit to teach me and to show me what this really means. And I have experienced this in my life, what I'm about to share. So enough talking for me. If you're like me, maybe you've wondered, is there more? You've prayed the sinner's prayer. You believe you're saved by grace and forgiven of your sins, but yet nothing has really changed. You're still living in sin, and you don't even know if you'll ever be free. I'm here to tell you today, there is more. Jesus has so much more for us. The price that he paid was for so much more than for you to just go to heaven with him one day. God wants us to be cleansed. He wants us to be set free. He wants us to be purged. I'm Joshua Enns. Welcome to the Purge Podcast. If this is your first time joining the podcast or watching the video on YouTube, welcome here. I appreciate you watching and making it this far. I hope that uh, you enjoy or about to share and I pray that you'd be blessed. So God, thank you that you were in the midst of this podcast. You were upon it. Thank you, God, that you have called me and you put it on my heart to do this podcast. So I pray that every word I speak would plant seeds of truth and that every word that I say, if it is false, I pray they would fall and it would not take root. But the words that are of you, 
God that you tell me to, to say. I pray that they would take root and they would grow in every one of the hearts listening. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's get started. In Romans chapter 5, verse 1, I'm reading in the New King James Version. So verse, starting with verse 1, it says, Therefore, having been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom also we have access by faith into this grace in which we stand and rejoice in hope of the glory of God. Verse 3, And not only that, but we also glory in tribulations, knowing that tribulation produces perseverance, and perseverance, character, and character, hope. Now hope does not disappoint, because the love of God has been poured out in our hearts by the Holy Spirit, who was given to us. For when we are still without strength in due time, Christ died for the ungodly. For scarcely for a righteous man will someone die. Yet perhaps for a good man, someone would even dare to die. But God demonstrates his own love towards us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. That's amazing. Much more than having now been justified by his blood, we shall be saved from wrath through him. For when we were enemies, we were reconciled to God through the death of his son. Much more, having been reconciled, reconciled, we shall be saved by his life. And not only that, but we also rejoice in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through we have now received the reconciliation. Starting at verse 12, continuing at verse 12, Therefore, just as through one man sin entered the world, and death through sin, and thus death spread to all men, because all sinned, for until the law... For until the law, sin was in the world, but sin is not imputed where there is no law. Now I want to stop right there because that is a common verse that people um, like to use a lot. When we're talking about being free from sin and how it's not okay to sin, it's not okay to just be forgiven by God but then continue a lifestyle of sin, it is not okay. If no one's ever told you that, if you haven't heard your pastor or anybody say that, let me be the first. It is not okay to continue to turn to God, but yet not turn away from sin. You can't have one without the other. In the turning to God, you turn away from sin because God is 180 degrees opposite of sin. And so, in fact, sin is everything that God isn't. And so you cannot claim to be a Christian and still continue in sin now. Is there hope for you? Is there forgiveness and mercy? Absolutely. This isn't meant to be a condemning message, but it is supposed to be a convicting one. So let it convict you and not condemn you. You are called to a life that gives up sin, a life that submits to God and denies that sinful nature, denies your old ways. And so a lot of people, when I talk about that, they say, well, sin under grace uh, they use the grace card and they say, well, under grace, sin is not imputed where there is no law because we're not under the law, but we're under grace. But the very next verse, the very first word of the next verse, verse 14, nevertheless, it's like saying, even though sin is not imputed, it's about to say something. So I'm going to read it again. For until the law, sin was in the world, was in the world. So it's still in the world, just like today under grace. This is talking about 
before Moses, um, sin was not imputed, but it was still in the world. Notice it says it's still in the world, but sin is not imputed where there is no law. So I agree we are not under the law, but nevertheless, death reigned from Adam to Moses, even over those who had not sinned according to the likeness of the transgression of Adam, who is a type of him who is to come. So, even though sin was not imputed, God was not, there was no law, even though right now there is no uh, Mosaic law that we're under, we're under grace, the law of grace. Um, sin is still reigning. And that's why Paul says, uh, later we'll see, it says, do not let sin reign in your mortal body. Because although there is no law, and that sin is empowered by the law, sin is still in effect in the world, and it's still reigning in our lives. I know it was reigning in mine up until a couple years ago. It was reigning, and it was Lord, even though I was claiming Jesus to be my Lord and my King, I actually was obeying sin. So I was actually still a slave, because Jesus says, you are a slave to whomever you choose to obey. Whoever you obey, whatever you claim or whatever you say with your lips, it's about your action. It's about the one that you are submitting to and obeying the commands. So if you obey Jesus, then he truly is your king. But just because you say Jesus is king in your bio does not mean that he actually is king in your life. It doesn't mean he's actually Lord in your life. You can say that Jesus is Lord, but is he actually Lord over your life? Does he call the shots? Does he make the decrees and then you actually obey them? And so, um, just a reminder, it says, Nevertheless, death reigned from Adam to Moses. And I would argue that death reigns right now, even again, even though we're in another grace period without a law, without the Mosaic law. So we'll keep reading in verse 15. But the free gift is not like the offense, for if by one man's offense many died, much more the grace of God and the gift by the grace of one man, Jesus Christ, abounded to many. And the gift is not like that which came through the one who sinned. For the judgment which came from one offense resulted in condemnation. But the free gift which came from many offenses resulted in justification. For by the one man's offense, death reigned through the one, much more those who receive the abundance of grace and of the gift of righteousness will reign in life through the one Jesus Christ. I want to stop right there and point out, because there's a lot in Romans also about grace and about how it's being a free gift. So I want to point out and be clear that salvation, justification through the blood is 100% Jesus. It has nothing to do with your works. It is 100% a free gift. You cannot earn that. I'm not saying you have to, you have to um, free yourself of the sin before you're justified. I'm saying through the justification, Jesus empowers you through the grace of God, Jesus, the Holy Spirit, empowers you, the Father, by chastising and discipline, empowers you to deny the flesh and put to death every sin, individual sin. That's what I'm saying, just to be clear. Therefore, as through one man's offense, judgment, judgment came to all, resulted in condemnation, even so through one man's righteousness, act to the free gift came to all men, resulting in justification of life. 
For as by one man's disobedience many were made sinners, so also by one man's obedience many will be made righteous. Moreover, the law entered that the offense might abound, but where sin abounded, grace abounded much more, so that as sin reigned in death, still reigning, even so grace might reign through righteousness to eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. And we'll just continue, we'll just keep going into chapter 6. This is where it gets really awesome and really powerful. And this is like, it's, uh, you can get, you can get high just off reading Romans, high in the spirit that is. But um, here we go. And chapter 6, verse 1, what shall we say then? Shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? That's what a lot of people ask. Or that's how a lot of people live that with that idea. Oh, well, so they might not say that, but they say that, well, we can continue in sin because grace abounds. It just said in a couple of verses up that grace abounds, where sin abounds, grace abounds more. So people almost have this idea that like in your sin, grace is just going to abound and eventually you'll stop sinning just by the grace. No, that's not how it works. So let's continue. It says, certainly not. How shall we who died to sin live any longer in it? It doesn't make sense. If we are dead to sin, it is impossible to live in it because we are dead to sin. As far as sin is concerned, we are dead. We are, we do not exist. There is no host for sin to live in us. Just as if a cancer patient, a person that has cancer in their body, if they die, that cancer in them also dies. Because the cancer needs a living host. So if that person dies, then that person is dead to the cancer. They're also dead, but they're also dead to the cancer. And the cancer is dead to them. And so that is why Jesus had to take every individual sin, not just sin as a whole. He didn't just like pay just the payment of the punishment for sin as a sacrifice but he took every individual sin into his body and then what did he do he died and so that every individual sin would die along with him but it doesn't stop there it, it would be sad if it stopped there but then he rose on the after three days he rose to life he took the keys of sin and death and rose to life without that sin in him free of that sin and then it says that we are actually crucified with christ the death that he died we died also what death did he die he died to sin and sin died to him so that is why it says do not let sin reign in your mortal bodies we're about to read but most importantly right here as we're talking about it says how shall you who died to sin live in it any longer the only way you can sin the only way i can sin the only way we can sin as believers is by using abusing our resurrection power in us and resurrecting our sinful nature which god has called dead that's why it says as we're about to read again i'm getting ahead of myself that we should reckon ourselves dead it's not an automatic thing sanctification crucifying the flesh putting to death every deed in the body is not automatic that's why it says you cleanse yourself you crucify yourself you put to death 
through the power of the Holy Spirit. It says, you do these things. You purify yourself. Um, It says this because it is not an automatic thing. You have to choose to reckon yourselves dead and to see yourself dead to sin. That is where power over sin comes. That is where authority and victory over sin comes. Is you recognizing that God, you said that sin should no longer reign. You said that I am dead to it. So how can he live in me any longer? I need to stop submitting myself to it. I need to stop settling that I'm just always going to sin, that I'm just a sinner saved by grace. I have a sinful nature and I, I don't want to do the things I do want to, I don't want to, I do the things I don't want to do and it's just, oh, wretched me. God has so much more for you and we're going to get to that. And hopefully that makes more sense as I read it. So continuing at verse 3. Or do you not know that as many as of us were baptized into Christ, were baptized into his death? Therefore we are buried with him through the baptism into death. That just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, even so we should also walk in newness of life. So we're not just dead to sin, but we're actually called to walk in newness of life as well. We're resurrected as well. We're not just crucified with him, but we're also resurrected. For if we have been united together in the likeness of a death, certainly we shall also be in the likeness of his resurrection, knowing this, that our old man was crucified with him, that the body of sin might be done away with, that we should no longer be slaves of sin, for he who has died has been freed from sin. Did we die with Christ? Yeah, we, we did. Just checking. Now, if we died with Christ, (laughs) we believe that we shall also live with him, knowing that Christ, having been raised from the dead, dies no more. Death no longer has dominion over him. For the death that he died, what is the death that we died? The the death that we died with him, that we were a part of, that we we were co-crucified with him? The death that he died, he died to sin once for all. But the life that he lives, he lives to God. Likewise, you also reckon yourselves to be dead indeed to sin, but alive to God in Christ Jesus our Lord. Therefore, verse 12, do not let sin reign in your mortal body, that you should obey it in its lust. And do not present your members as instruments of unrighteousness to sin, but present yourselves to God as being alive from the dead. And your members as instruments of righteousness to God, for sin shall not have dominion over you, for you are not under the law, but under grace. Wow, that's amazing. See, we talk about the blood of Jesus. We all know the blood of Jesus cleanses us from all unrighteousness, but we think it's an automatic thing. And just because we're justified in his sight, just because he sees us righteous, we seem to think it's okay to continue a life of sin, to continue a life of being bound by the flesh and its dictates but it's not okay the blood is cleanses us but it can cleanse us not there is salvation for not only our spirit being sealed and salvation of justification given to us but there's power in the blood to justify and sanctify us and to make us holy as well but the second part requires our will to be submitted to his That's why it says, you have to present your members. You have to present your members 
as instruments of righteousness to God, as instruments of righteousness. A lot of times we like to claim that we're the righteousness of God, but are we submitting our instruments, which is our body, our body, soul, and spirit, every part of us? Let's move on. Verse 15, what then? Again, shall we sin because we are not under the law, but under grace? Certainly not. Do you not know that to whom you present yourselves slaves to obey, you are that one slave, slaves whom you obey? Whether of sin leading to death or of disobedience leading to righteousness. But God be thanked that though you were slaves of sin, yet you obeyed from the heart that form of doctrine to which you were delivered. And having been set free from sin, you became slaves of righteousness. I speak in human terms because of the weakness of your flesh. For just as you presented your members as slaves of uncleanliness and of lawlessness, leading to more lawlessness, so now present your members as slaves of righteousness for holiness. For when you were slaves of sin, you were free in regard to righteousness. What fruit did you have then in the things of which you are now ashamed? For the end of those things is death. But now having been set free from sin and having become slaves of God, you have your fruit to holiness and the end everlasting life. For the wages of sin is death, but the, but the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. That's so amazing. It's saying, going back to verse 20, when you are slaves of sin, you were free in regard to righteousness. You had no obligation to do anything good because you were a sinner. That was your nature. And it says, what fruit came of the things of which you are now ashamed? Like when you're thinking about your sin and you're tempted to sometimes, maybe you, some of you have experienced freedom, but you're tempted, you repent and then you want to go back. You, you're in that cycle, that, that terrible cycle that so many of us live in that I lived in for years growing up. The cycle of like, hating it but then going back to it like it says a dog returned to its vomit um remind yourself what fruit did you came from that what good came from that of the thing you're now ashamed nothing but now having been set free from sin having become slaves of god you have your fruit to holiness and the end everlasting life wow that's so good um I don't know how long this has been, but I think I'm going to split this up into two parts. So we're going to continue on the second part. On the next episode, we're going to continue on Romans 7 and 8 because that's going to probably take quite a bit of time. But thank you guys so much for watching and for tuning in. And I hope this blessed you as a little different format. But I think there's a lot to dive in here, a lot to study. And so many of us, like myself anyway, just never even read Romans for ourselves. We, and it's not really talked about. We might hear the odd verse about the grace of God, or maybe even something out of Romans seven saying like how even Paul struggled with sin. But we need to dive in and study it for ourselves and see what God has really said about us and what He has paid for. There's so much more. So thank you guys for joining. We'll catch you next time.
Jesus has so much more for us.